Hello, and welcome to Monumental, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, leaders, visionaries, and big thinkers making monumental change. Here's your host, Evan Holliday. Welcome to Monumental. I'm your host, Evan Holliday, and today we have on the show with us, Mr. David Green. David, how you doing, man? Hey, hey, what's going on, Evan? Good to be here today. Yes, glad to have you on. It's uh, it's been a minute since uh, we last connected on the Bigger Pockets episode, where you guys were um, very gracious to have me on your show. That was a lot of fun, and uh, like we were just talking about earlier, Bigger Pockets has a phenomenal audience and a and a great great audience that you guys have been able to put together over the years. Yeah, they've done a really good job of bringing value and education and not really asking for a whole lot. And now they're at a point where that's starting to be reciprocated. So I think it's just a great blueprint for how to create a big business. And then obviously it's an awesome community too. Like we get to meet people like you and other yeah. people that help our businesses forward. It's a huge piece of getting started with traction in real estate investing is you got to get other people around you. I love it. Yeah, we'll definitely have to dive into that. Um, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, um, I want to quickly give everybody a little background for those who don't know David Green. Um, he is the co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, like we just talked about, the author of Buy, Rehab, Rent, Refinance, Repeat, the Burr book, and Long Distance Real Estate Investing, How to Buy, Rehab, and Manage Out-of-State Rental Property. And he's an award-winning uh, California real estate agent, and he runs the David Green team and the lending team out of California. Um, and he also does all kinds of investing, which we'll get into. Um, but with that, David, um, why don't we give our listeners a little background on, on who you are and, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, that sounds great. I was a police officer. I fell into real estate investing. I bought a house for a buddy who was going to lose his earnest money deposit because he was moving away to Bible college. And I end up with a rental, advertised it on Craigslist, did everything wrong you could possibly do, got money stolen from me by my tenant, had to go through an eviction. Worst experience you could have when you're a new person. Well, I suppose the only thing that didn't go wrong was they didn't trash the house. Everything else was bad. Hired a property manager, realized, oh, there's people that could do this a lot easier than me. Quit being a cheapskate trying to save a hundred bucks a month. And then next year I bought another house and just gave it to that same property manager. And then every year after that, I bought a house and realized at a certain point, oh, I guess I'm a guy that owns real estate. I'm an investor. Started learning more about it, got into bigger pockets, started to see there's other people that were doing this too. Um, realized I had a really good opportunity with the economy being down, but I had a job as a cop where I still had overtime opportunities and I was making good income. Interest rates were low. There was a lot of demand for housing. And I kind of saw this is a, a good opportunity. So I just went at a dead sprint. I just started working 100 hours a week, saving up as much as I could buying rentals, doing it while I was at work. So I had to learn to put a system together where I would communicate through text message because I couldn't talk on the phone, learn how to analyze properties from a phone or from a computer very quickly, started to talk about it with other people. Eventually, after talking about it as much as I did, I put together, you know, like a system of what I was doing that I could articulate. And then I got uh, approached by Bigger Pockets, right? Long distance real estate investing. I wrote that book and then the Burr book came next. And now I was asked to host the podcast with them and get to host a show with my best friend, Brandon Turner, and 
share all the stuff that you and I have learned can absolutely change lives. So that's kind of a brief description of where I am now. I run the David Green team out of Keller Williams in the Bay Area in Sacramento. We sold 140 houses this year. I started a mortgage company in 2020. So now we help people with refinances and loans as well as buying a house. And I basically just took everything I learned, getting my teeth kicked in, with real estate investing myself and lending. And now I'm serving our clients so that they don't have to learn it the hard way like I did. That's amazing. Um, so many different directions we could take this, David. Um, I love that you, you know, you found out this journey through really by kind of chance or happenstance uh, with your friend, with your buddy. And now it's become your passion and, and really your, your day in, day out and what you love to do every day. And, and also now you're giving back and sharing that with so many others uh, through bigger pockets in your books. So first off, kudos to you for that. Um, and, and secondly, as far as like getting into real estate, did you figure this would be a, a long-term thing or did you, did you kind of question that at the beginning or did you have any idea it would end up like this? It's so funny. People overthink things. And when I look at my own career, I'm like, I have no idea how I got here. It was literally at some point I'm going to need a house. I should just buy this one and then rent it out until I need it. That's where it started. And then it was a phone call from my mom. Hey, there's a house down the street for sale. You should look at it because she wanted me to live close to her. <laughs> so I bought it. Now I have two houses to rent out. And then it was, well, I get these statements in, the, in the, my email every month. And I guess I got to start tracking this income. And how much am I making on these things? Am I making money or losing money? I never even thought about it. So then I put that together. And then unfortunately, my grandma passed away, but I bought her house because I knew how to buy houses. Then I had three houses. And then around the time I bought the fourplex was the first time that was my fourth deal that I ever ran ROI on a property. So I didn't even know it was called ROI. I just realized I'm getting 30% of my money back every year. So in about three years, I'll have it all back. It's like, that's incredible. Does anybody else get that much money? I need to deal with this a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, the economy changed in uh, California, 2013, housing became expensive. Again, we had all the, the, uh, we call them boomerang buyers. So you went through a short sale in 2010, 2013 came around, they were able to get a loan. They all jumped in and grabbed these fixed rate loans that they wouldn't lose their money on. Oh, the market just took off within like one springtime. It was too late. That's how fast it went. Hmm. So I had to go buy in other States. And no one told me that that was risky or I wasn't supposed to do it. So I just started to say, well, if it was in California, I would need a painter. I would need a property manager. I'll just go find one out there and put a system together for buying out of state. And the next thing I know, I'm an out of state investor, but I didn't think about it nearly as much as I think other people did. I just found myself in that position and then said, well, I better learn how to do it. And if I'm being completely honest, that's really how I got into real estate investing. I'd love to sit here and say this was a calculated move and I lined up all my dominoes. Not at all. I think I think that way now when I'm like, I'm a businessman. So I have a real estate team. Well, how do we do loans? So I'm not dependent on a loan officer who doesn't know how to do their job. Okay. How do we do these loans cheaper so it can save our clients money? Now I'm looking at putting a solar company together for 2021. How do we help save our clients money in that way? I'm a little more strategic now, but no, I had no idea. I accidentally found myself in this situation. And I promise you, if I did it, anybody else can do it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great takeaway at the end too. If, if, if you can do it, anybody else can do it. If I can do it, Evan, if I can do it, anybody else can do it. Um, I think it just takes that, that belief and also that consistent action, which it sounds like you did day in, day out. Like you just you didn't quite know exactly what you were doing at the beginning, but you were at least taking action and doing it. Um, and I think that's a key part of it. Sometimes you really don't know 100% of the picture. 
uh, as you're growing your business, as you're finding more deals, as you're networking, as you're closing more deals, like you, you don't know a hundred percent of what you don't know. Uh, but inaction is honestly what slows you down the most of, of thinking that you need to have all the pieces in place can slow you down more. Um, so I, I commend you for that. That's, that's great to hear that. And then as far as um, being able to, to get to the point where you're like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to write a book. How did that come about? This again, I had no intention of being an author. All right. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what happened. When you read the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan, in chapter two, yeah. they talk about geometric progression. And it's this very simple concept that a one inch domino can knock down another domino that's one and a half times bigger. So I had not read that book, but I did sort of inherently understand that concept from other things that had happened to me in life. I saw how getting an opportunity at one thing in life could open up doors for the next. And if you only look at the opportunity that's right in front of you, it doesn't seem worthy of your hard work and your commitment. But if you look at, if I can knock this domino down, I might get five more. You're looking at the sixth domino. That would be worthy of the effort you want to put into it. And a lot of people can't make that connection. They don't understand that you'll make a million dollars from getting good at this thing because of the doors that it would open. If they thought they could make a million, they would work hard at it. But because it only looks like five grand, they don't want to do it. So I got, uh, I joined GoBundance and then I met Hal Elrod who wrote The Miracle Morning. He introduced me to Brandon Turner and they got me on the Bigger Pockets podcast. When I did the podcast, Brandon said, that was amazing. One of the best shows we've done. You did so good. And I said, can you introduce me to the blog editor for Bigger Pockets blog? Because I really like the blog and I want to write. He said, sure. He made an introduction. When I talked to Allison, I said, Allison, what do I have to do to write the best blogs here? That was just a question I asked. What do the people like? She said, well, here's the ones that perform the best. I wrote the best one I could. I brought it to a couple of people and asked them to edit it for me. They did. I still remember they said, your tone is a little too serious. You need to take an edge off a little bit. I resubmitted it. Allison loved it. It became the editor's choice. And then everyone after that, my goal was to always be the editor's choice, but just write the best one I possibly can. Mm -hmm. So now Allison really likes me because I'm helping write blogs that are making her look good. When Bigger Pockets Publishing was formed, Brandon, it was the only one that had written books for them and Jay Scott. And they said, well, hey, we want to get other people in the community writing books. She said, well, let me go to David. He's my top blog person. That became how long distance drill. I didn't have to go pitch anybody. I didn't have to convince anyone. I have to go knock on a million doors. I just did a good job with what I was given. And that came to me. I wrote that book and it won second place for book of the year with the National Association of Real Estate Editors. I met people from Forbes that asked me to go write for their website. Once they saw it, that book opened up doors. So that got me on the podcast a second time where I got to talk about the book. And then I got to know Brandon Turner even better. And then he uh, gave me permission to write the Burr book because Burr is a phrase Brandon came up with. So I went to him to ask if I could write it. Because the first book did good, I got the second book deal. I wrote Burr. Now I'm on the podcast a third time to talk about it. And I'm promoting these books because I want bigger pockets to see David's books sell the best. That was really important to me. So now I'm getting good at talking, like what we're doing right now. I can get on a podcast and I can just talk and I don't sound yeah. as awkward as I used to. 
So the Burr book sells really good. Josh Dorkin steps down from being the podcast host. There's a little like vacuum there. And, you know, long story short, I end up getting that spot where now my ability to talk is helping me and I'm serving bigger pockets in that way. So what I tell people is we, I didn't know where that was going to go, but I did know that I really should be doing the best that I can with what I have right now. And when you do that, the doors open up and then you just make the decision which door you're going to go through. But if somebody had said, well, let's say that I went to you and said, Hey, do you want to write blogs for bigger pockets? Most people would say, why? What is that? They're not going to pay me for that. Why am I going to do that? But if I told you, do you want to become the host of the bigger pockets podcast? Okay. We'll start writing blogs. You probably would have said, heck yeah, I'm down yeah. to do that. Okay. So now I, I go through life and I'm always asking myself, like, if I do a good job with this, what doors are that going to open for me in the future? Would you get a TV show out of this? Is that worthy of your effort? Would you be worth a hundred million dollars? Is that worthy of your effort? And because I know that dominoes knock down other dominoes, I, it's much easier for me to give everything I have. And that's probably the advice I'd give to the audience who are sitting there saying, I haven't even bought my first deal. I don't know if I want to do this. Man, that first deal isn't really going to be what matters. It's going to open the door to the second and the third. And on the fourth or the fifth, you're going to fall in love with this. And by the seventh or the eighth, you're good at it. And then that's going to get you to 30 deals, which is going to be like generational wealth for, for your family for years to come. Yeah, that's awesome. I love how you're saying like, it just takes that action toward not, not exactly knowing what the end result is going to be, or, yeah. or even thinking, asking yourself, like, I, I think that's something um, a lot of people don't take into account enough times is like be intentional and ask yourself those deep questions and those tough questions of saying, Hey, if I want, you know, if I want to be on TV or if I, if I want to do, you know, a thousand doors, or if I want, you know, whatever your goal is work your way backwards from that and say, how, what domino do I have to, what is the smallest domino I can start with that will knock down the next domino, next, next, next. And eventually you've built up this massive, massive monumental momentum uh, that will let you get to a place where you can achieve the big, crazy, you know, the hairy audacious goals. Um, so I love that you broke that down. Um, the other thing I would say is, do you recommend um, for those that want to write a book, do you recommend starting out with the blog like you did? Yes. I think if you're good at writing and you know you have something good to say, there's nothing wrong with writing a book. I think in general, there's too many books in the world as it is. We don't need more if they're not really good books. So when you hear someone say, I've written a book, don't assume that's a really impressive thing. You can, <laughs> anyone can publish a book yeah, right now, yeah. right? Like, It'd be better to ask like, well, how good is the book? What reviews does it have? How many copies have you sold? That would be a better indication of how successful it was. And if you want to actually write a book, you don't have to start with a book. Start with blogs. Go on Medium. Go on Bigger Pockets. Go on other um, platforms where you can kind of hash out your skill when it comes to writing. You should have a consistent following of people that like what you have to say and be better at doing it before you get into the point of actually writing a book. And then, you know, when you do decide you want to write a book, you don't have to go through a big publisher. You can publish it yourself or you can go through a smaller publisher. You can make like some guy like you, Evan, you've got a, a podcast here. You could start a publishing arm of your podcast where books are written that you sell to the people who listen to it about topics that you teach on. You could write that book or a listener of your show could. It's, it's very smart to approach an Evan and say, I've got a book written on this topic you talk about. Do you want to partner on it and split the proceeds? I think that that's a really good way to go as opposed to, I want to write a New York's bestseller on my very first deal. Right. And, and I got rejected by, you know, 
like Penguin House Publishing, whatever. And now yeah. I'm upset about it. And and also starting from no audience. I think I think you can have kind of one hit wonders like that, but they're few and far between. You're better mm. able to stack the dominoes in your favor. Like you said, if you can if you can align yourself with somebody that has an audience or like you did and and get the foot in the door through blog posting. And then that leads that segues into uh, writing books through a, a big platform like Bigger Pockets, who already has a built-in audience. Um, but I, I think it comes back to like, and honestly, this is something for me too. Is like I, I sometimes I struggle with with writing uh, for some reason. It's just getting started, the analysis paralysis. So I know a lot of our listeners go through that too. Of like, how can you break through that? And I think that's so important. Of just saying like, hey, just get started and and just start with a blog post. Uh, and find a platform, any platform that you resonate with, um, and start writing. And, and you'll, as long as you're at build consistent quality content that provides value to people, um, then you will start building that that audience, which will could lead to potential books as well. If that's the goal, you know. Now that you mention it, I don't think I've ever written a book, even with the new one that I have coming out, that was full of content that I hadn't already said to people hundreds of times. Yeah. It, it, writing isn't hard because I've already explained this concept in this way so many times as I try to help other people. That might be an indication that you're not ready to write the book yet if you don't know how to say <laughs> what you're trying to say. Put more time into coaching, training, helping, assisting, getting the word out, whether it's through blogs or speaking or running a group or helping get someone else started as a mentor. Your, your effort teaching them is what earns you the right to write that book. That'd probably be the best way I could put it. If you're trying to skip that and just get right into all the credit you get from the book, that's why people are running into those problems. Yeah. Yeah. So writing a book in 2021 is one of my big goals uh, because of that very reason of what you said is like, I've, I've said the same thing over <laughs> and over, like thousands of times. I'm like, all right, let me put into a book form. That way I can hand that book to people. You know, when they ask, what is it like to develop affordable housing or how do I do that? And I could say, here's the book. It's, you know, comprehensive A to Z. I want to help you. And it only costs you 10 bucks or whatever. Um, I, I think that that is the power of book writing. That's the power of books is people like books. They find value in books and they're not, they're inexpensive ways to share a massive amount of knowledge and wealth of knowledge. Um, and, and that tool, like your books, your Burr book, um, your, your new book, which we haven't yet talked about sold, um, uh, which is coming out here soon. It should be out by the time this episode airs, um, books like that will, could literally change somebody's life or change their trajectory, change their mindset. Uh, and, and think about, you know, it's 10, $20 book. And it can literally shift somebody's life. So many people that we interview on our podcast have mentioned how rich dad, poor dad is what got them there. I've heard it so many times, Evan, that I am now yeah. convinced that thought, like things that change a thought process or a mindset are the most powerful thing in the world. More so than just a strategy. Hey, here's steps one through 10 for how to get where you're trying to go. And when I write a book, what I'm basically doing is trying to condense and shorten the learning curve for everybody who's reading it. So I went out and had to figure out how to build a real estate portfolio. And I did it by working 100 hours a week, killing myself, gaining tons of weight, having no life, sleeping in my car for two hours, three hours, and then working for 20 to 22 hours at a time to save this money up that I dumped into one rental. And then I figured out what we now call the Burr method. And I went from buying two houses a year to two houses a month. And it was just, well, I'm an idiot. What have I been doing? Right. And I didn't want other people to go through that. Same with long distance investing. 
I spent a year saying California is too expensive. I can't buy real estate before it finally hit me. I could just go somewhere else. And now with being a real estate agent, it was very, very hard to get this thing going. I, even though I was a top agent in my office, my profit margins weren't that great. I was busting my butt. I failed so many times. Four years in my fourth year, I quadrupled my business from last year. My profit margins went up. I finally figured out this is the right way to do it. So now I want to write a book for everyone who's coming behind me so they can kind of like walk a path that I've paved instead of having to fight their way through it. So yeah. that's the best kind of books, the books that are going to change how you think about something and make it easier for you to achieve what you already wanted to achieve. Yeah, I love that. Um, and as far as like giving a, a timeline background for everybody, like what, at what point do you, do you remember when you started blog writing for bigger pockets? And then at what point you did the book and then, and then the podcast? That's a good question. I would say I probably started writing the blog in 2015, 2016. It was about a year later, I wrote the first book. A year and a half later, so maybe 2018, when Burr was written or came out. Maybe that one came out in 2019, so maybe I wrote it in 2018. And then in 2019, I sold about 46 houses and that was a gross sales volume of about 26 million. That's the number we use in real estate sales to measure how much work you've done. And now in 2020, I wrote Sold this year, which is the first of a three-part series. So basically, I wrote three books during COVID shutting everything down. Oh, we wow. sold 140 houses this year for about 90 million in gross sales volume. Uh, and then I started the mortgage company as well, which is doing on average about 25 loans a month. So in our area, that's your top producer, just stepping into the game. Yeah, like, I got amazing. a bunch of babies on my team. We're all trying to figure this thing out and boom, we're, <laughs> we're drinking from a fire hose. So, um, I guess the good news is I learned faster than someone else would. The downside of course, is drinking from a fire hose is not fun. You're gagging on water yeah. like all the time. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and basically what I heard out of that is, it's, it's a hockey stick, right? I mean, there it takes, go. it takes time. It takes momentum. I think, um, I fall victim to this. I know a lot of people do is, you know, you hear someone's accolades. You're like, man, David Green, he's done so much. He's written all these books. He's sold all these houses. He's built all these companies. It's massively successful. Um, but it didn't all happen at once. It didn't, mm -hmm. it's not like you went out yesterday and did all of that. It took time day in day out and i think people forget that of like hey it just you know it's like one inch every day one inch every day one inch every day and eventually you start building something that gains the momentum that starts moving quicker and quicker on its own like what you said you went from you know the last couple of years you wrote a book a year to now you're writing three a year on top of starting new companies on top of your top sales you know that doesn't happen in one year that builds up over time um to now where you've built up the experience and the team and the knowledge and the network. Um, so you can have that massive momentum. It's so, it's so good. You mentioned the word momentum. Cause that's what it is. Even like when you're trying to buy houses, you, you look at houses forever. You talk to a million different people. You don't really know who's full of it and who's legit. You don't know what wholesaler you can trust. The agents you're working with aren't good. And you didn't even know they weren't good till you spent nine months working with them. Everything is slow and painstakingly hard. And then you, you find one good agent and you go, oh, that's, that's what they should look like. And then it's easier to find more. And then you get a deal under contract and you know it doesn't cash flow. Your property management company isn't that great. You go through a couple more and then boom, that property manager is better. Now you got 
two out of the four pieces you need in your yeah. core for. And then you do that with the contractor. And then you do that with different banks until you finally find a bank or maybe you find a bank and then they don't work anymore, but you know what you did to find them. So you find the next one quicker. That's what we're talking about with momentum. And then you get these pieces in place. And the next thing you know, you put eight houses in contract the next year instead of one every two years. That's really how success happens. It doesn't happen linearly. Like you said, it happens on that hockey stick type of a curve. And the worst thing you can do is to start that process and quit before you hit the curve. You're just, you're doing all that work and you're not getting any of the yeah. payoff. Yeah, exactly. Right. What, what do you think is like a, um, is, is there a good kind of rule of thumb about building momentum and at what point that momentum sticks? Brandon Turner has an awesome analogy. He's been saying it lately and I love it. And he's, he talks about throwing kites in the air. So when you have a kite that you want to get off the ground, like what a little kid will do is they'll take their kite. They'll run really fast. They'll try to get a little bit of air going. And if they go fast enough, it'll catch the wind and the kite will go really high. And he was saying that it's that speed. How quickly can you run to get your kite in the air? Cause once it's up there, it takes care of itself. And he mentioned how the rock started a tequila company. It's like, does the rock even drink tequila? What makes him better able to make better tequila than somebody else? Nothing at all, but he has so much momentum. He has so many eyeballs and trust in his brand that the rock could do anything, including starting tequila. And it becomes a bestseller. Everybody's going to buy it. He has momentum. That's what I would say. The rock is a rock, a boulder that is careening down a hill and anything you stick in front of it, it's going to crush. Right. Yep. So I believe your question was like, was it, how do you know if you should keep going forward? Yeah. At what point is there any sort of rule of thumb of momentum building? Yeah. It should start feeling like the tasks that you are doing today, you get to an answer quicker and easier and better than you did yesterday. The money coming in is not a good indicator of if you should stick with something or if you're building momentum, you won't know. But the feeling that you get getting through the tasks that you have to do that day should go quicker. So when I first started working out, I was a skinny rail. Like you wouldn't think so looking at me now, but uh, I was like incredibly skinny. And it took me a couple years just to build up a base to where I could even put on weight. If I was looking at how muscular I was, it was, a I would have quit a long time ago. But what I started to notice was that I could go longer without getting tired. Or I, every time I was increasing weight consistently, even those very small increases. Um, yeah. Looking back, what I realized was I couldn't really work out my biceps because my wrists were too frail and they would get tired before I could get a bicep workout. So I had to build up a wrist muscle before I could even get to the bicep. And then my forearm was too weak. I couldn't <laughs> keep the grip, right? I, yeah. I couldn't even work out my bicep because my forearms would burn out before I could get there. So I had to go through those two things before I even got to work out a bicep. But you have to go through that process, right? If I was just looking at my curl weight, I would have quit a long time ago. So really, as you're going through life and you're frustrated because things aren't happening as quick as you'd like, what I think you should be looking at is, well, are my wrists stronger than they used to be? Are my forearms stronger than they used to be? Am I moving in the direction that I want? And then it does take a level of faith to, to say, well, when I get that momentum, what's it going to be like? But the key from what I've learned being successful in business and real estate investing in anything is momentum. It yeah. is getting to where you've got the pieces in place and then they all just sort of fall in line. And I'm sure Evan, with your success, you would say it was similar for you. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I love all the analogies too, by the way, um, the kites and then the, and going to the gym. Um, I couldn't agree more on the gym part. I, I because of the pandemic, I, I, 
finally committed. It's funny pandemics and, and times of uncertainty and, and all that, it, it actually got me to commit to one of my goals. Um, <laughs> so now I've, I've been going consistently for six months and I've noticed it's like, you know, little by little. And then six months later, I'm like, whoa, I have a totally different body um, than I, than I've ever had in my life. Um, but it didn't happen in the first month or two months or three months. It took six months before I saw that difference. Um, but I felt it little by little. And it goes back to what you were saying about the dominoes too. It's like, you know, you, sometimes if you have to work on your biceps, you should probably also think about your wrist and working on your wrists and then your forearms and, and then your biceps. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's spot on. And, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, the first year we started holiday ventures, I mean, the, there was a lot of moving parts, a lot of uncertainty, uh, a lot of unknowns. You know, I, I had set the vivid vision. I had set the traction, uh, vision traction organizer and, and went toward that path. But it's amazing how, um, you know, that there's a lot of uncertainty and you're just kind of running and running and running. And hopefully you're like, I think I'm running in the right direction, but I'm not really sure because I haven't had any results yet. Um, but like you said, it's like you notice little changes here and there you understand, you pick things up better, you, you build your network, you build your team. And then eventually a, a, it was about a year for me where I was like, I was like, Whoa, okay, this is, this is way different. Like we're, we're 10 X levels higher than where we were a year ago. And that's where things really, the ball really picks up and, and you compound that over years like you have. Um, and it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And a year is pretty impressive for what you, you did there. And my guess would be if you had to do it again with another venture, you make it there in six months instead of a year because of all the momentum you gain with what you learned doing it. Right. The, the exactly. First time. Yeah. And, and that goes to what you're, what you're doing now with your solar business. Um, I, I want to ask just cause I'm curious, cause, um, I love that you're doing that because that is something I'd like to, so you know, we're in development, affordable development. I'd like to get into probably a little different than your solar business, but affordable or sorry, um, solar, uh, in like utility scale solar development. Um, that's, you know, the developer in me wants to get into solar cause I, I love renewable energy, but I'd love to hear what your solar business is and how you decided to get into that. Well, we haven't actually launched that yet. I'm, I'm working on it. The mortgage company was the one I launched in 2020. And the reason I think I got that going so much faster than the agent business. So just for comparison, I'd say the mortgage company is making 50 to 60% of what the agent business is profiting. It took me five years in the agent business to get there. It took five months with the mortgage wow, thing. Right? That's awesome. But what happened is because I learned how to take an entire goal, like let's say it's helping a buyer get a house and close on it. And I broke it up into smaller chunks. And then I trained people how to do specific pieces in there to make them very good at it. My mind already knew how to look at a problem, split it into different pieces. So I'm a big sports guy. And this makes a lot of sense if you look at it from sports. Okay. You've got a basketball team. You don't want to get a bunch of centers that operate as point guards or point guards that operate as centers, right? You could pick your sport. Your pitchers don't usually hit well. Well, most of us, when we're doing everything ourselves, are trying to play all nine positions on the baseball team. So you do good in the ones that you're naturally good at, and you suck at all the rest of them. The key to getting a good team or a good business is getting the right people that play that position really well. So I already understood when I started the mortgage company 
The ability to collect a bunch of documents from a client that takes a long time is a completely different skill set than the numbers analysis to make sure the debt to income ratio and the loan to value and all the little nuances are where they need to be, which is also a completely different skill set than a salesperson that can make an agent feel really comfortable bringing their clients to that person. So I split those up into three different positions and I started hiring people and training them to do the support positions underneath a person that was already experienced in the, the sales position. And that's why I think that business did really well, because I took people that were really good at what they did. And then I brought in support pieces to allow them to do even more. It's similar to what I say. I have this example of if you got a three-point shooter on your team who's lights out nasty, they hit everything. They typically three-point shooters are usually not as fast. They don't handle the ball as well. They can't get their own shot. So you might think that person sucks. They're scoring like two points a game, but then you get one person to play with them that draws the defense towards them and they have someone to kick it out to. And that three-point shooter is now scoring 25 points a game. They didn't do anything different. You put another person where to help them. And the same thing is that point guard that you brought in might've been getting one assist a game because he was on a terrible team. They couldn't finish anything he did. And he comes in and now he's getting 12 assists a game because that person's knocking down shots. They both look like they're so much better, but they didn't do anything actually different. You kind of have to approach business, in my opinion, the same way. I'm having a hard time finding people to bring me deals. Well, there's people out there that are really good at talking. They know how to get those deals. Yeah. So what I'm doing with the solar company, since this is brand new, is I'm looking for the partner that already knows solar. I don't want to learn it from the ground up. I want a person operating at a high level. I'm going to then find out from them. There's a couple that I'm talking to. What is stopping you from tripling what you're doing right now? The answer they give me is the problem that I have to solve in that business. With loans, the biggest problem was it takes so long to get clients to give me their documents. I can't get them pre-approved. If they get me all their stuff, boom, I can get it done that day. So I had to solve the problem of how can I get persistent people to communicate clearly to the borrowers why we need these documents. This isn't just an annoying thing we're asking. You can't buy that house until you get it and you want that house. Someone else is going to get it. They had to be able to communicate that. So with solar, I'm going to find that same question. I'm going to solve that problem, which is what's hard. It's trying to figure out how you do it. Yeah. Now I'm in a position <clears throat> where that person can operate very efficiently. And now I got to fill up a pipeline of leads for them to close on. I'm going to solve that problem by going to people we're already selling houses to and running down their expenses. Okay. Here's what your housing expense is. If you house hack, we're going to drop it by this much. Here's what your rehab cost would be. I'll find you a contractor that can do it for less. Now you're saving X amount of money every single month. Here's some of your fixed costs you have owning a house. What, what part of it's going to be your uh, energy bill? This is what it's going to cost to have this house. If you do solar, it will only cost this much. This is how much you're going to have to spend to get it. Here's what your, ret your return on investment would be for that deal. If that looks good to them, I connect them to the solar person who explains the, the nuances. That solar guy or gal probably isn't used to explaining numbers to a client, okay? That's not what they're good at. They're a three-point shooter. They don't set people up in that way, but we do that part good. So this is sort of, I don't know if you know everyone in your audience is looking to necessarily start a company, but these principles will start in whatever it is that you're looking to do. There's a reason that contractors always get complaints from clients. It's because they're not good communicators. doesn't mean they're dishonest people but they're not organized like we are. They don't usually yeah. manage cash flow very well. They're dealing with very difficult employees to try to manage. That's one of the notoriously hardest places to get a consistent guy to show up every day and work for you. 
And that's not a skill they went to college to learn. They swing hammers. Okay. They're, they're like fish out of water trying to run their company. So if you can solve that problem of how do I get a construction company and then have a person that can communicate to the client to set expectations correctly, everyone's going to be happy and you're going to get a lot of business. It's good to think this way. What we do as investors or entrepreneurs is we solve other people's problems. That's what you're doing as a developer. That's literally what you're doing. There's a problem. There's not enough places to live. There's not enough affordable housing. There's something that's making life hard. I'm going to be the one to fix it. And if I do that well, then I'll get paid. Yeah, 100%. I think, and remembering that too, is like you're paid commensurate to the size of the problem you solve um, and the amount of problems you solve. Uh, And so, and the other thing I love about your business model is you have very connected businesses you know, it's, you have the agents who help them buy and sell. You have the the mortgage company now. And then on top of that, you're adding the solar. And the, all three of those can seamlessly connect new potential clients. Or you could have one client that would use all three. Um, I think that's that's the beautiful thing about entrepreneurship is you can, you can start multiple businesses that all service the same clients or similar clients. And it, it doubles your reach or triples your reach. Uh, it also helps you be able to, you know, keep a client for longer. And, and it's just, it's amazing value. And I, and I love that you're doing that. Um, and that's, that's honestly, that's part of what our goal is too, is starting multiple businesses within the same venture of like, mm. Hey, we're doing affordable housing, but we want to do property management. We want to do construction company. We want to do an architect company. We want to do, you know, all these different companies that align with that same value. Um, so I, I commend you for that. That's really cool. As far as um, where you've where you've gone today and 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 where you see yourself after 2021, uh, what does the future look like for David Green? I got a long ways to go because what you said is exactly right. When we use that kite analogy, you throw the kite in the air when you're already running really fast and it and it goes quickly. It wouldn't work the same if you start a new, completely unrelated business because you don't have any momentum in that area. Now you got to start off running all over again. So what I'm, what my ultimate goal is, is to create a very large ecosystem, similar to kind of what Apple has done, where your phone communicates with your computer, which communicates with your watch without all the bad stuff that people don't like about Apple. (laughs) But where I'm trying to solve the problem of people saying, uh, I don't trust real estate agents, or I don't understand what happened with my loan, so that I don't have to worry about referring people out for business and not controlling the experience that they get. But I can make sure it's done the way that I would want it done if it was me or if it was my mom. And then when they're all working together, you can save money for your clients because you're getting revenue from several different places. So there's a lot of efficiencies there. I can take the people that are on the David Green team that are on that payroll with that profit and loss, and I can have them double double ending, well, maybe that's not the right word for it, but double dipping it, I should say, with doing the loan or doing the solar or doing these other things. So I don't need to buy a whole new building that I have to pay rent on and hire a whole new administrative staff just for that company. I don't have a right. whole marketing budget to get people to came. They already came. So we can pass those savings on. What I'd like to do is continue to build this until it's fairly systemized and I don't necessarily have to be in the middle of it running it and then focus on just funneling people into that company to get started and funneling leads into that company to help and then franchising it so that I can start one in Dallas, Texas. I can start one in Miami. I can start one in Tennessee and I can go to the markets where I think we have the most opportunity 
find the people that I think deserve the biggest chance and then give them a chance to work in the business. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I, I, and I actually just read a book uh, yesterday, one, one Page Marketing Plan, I think is what it was called. Um, very good book. And it highlighted exactly what you were saying is like how you always got to think about like entrepreneurs think about how do you start a business, but they don't always think about, you know, the end game. How do you sell a business? Yeah. At the end of the day, you're, you're going to sell to somebody either or, or pass it on to somebody. Um, and so you have to have the end game in mind. And so other people that buy companies or other people that would be your potential buyers at the end of the day are going to look for companies that have that system, that have that procedures, that have the operations like a science and you can be hundred percent removed from it because if they're buying you then, and your knowledge and everything that you have in your head, then that only gives them a, a certain runway. Uh, where that business is still viable and still profitable and still valuable to them. So they want to be buying systems and, and processes. And so the more you can, once you have something that is successful in your hands, put that into a systematic approach so that every piece of the system is interchangeable. Uh, like the, like the best example is McDonald's, how they have like teenagers mm -hmm. running this multi-billion dollar company. It's a good point. And, and it's, they have every single part of frying a burger down to a science. Um, so I, I, I think that's the path for if you want to really maximize the value of your company and, and what you're spending all your day working on is thinking about how do you systemize it. And that's how we do real estate investing. I think this is why I've set my companies up this way because as an investor, what was so appealing to me is I do all this hard work and then it becomes passive income. I hire somebody else to manage it, somebody else to fix the things that go wrong. I borrowed money from this person to give to that person. And I pay the first person back with money from somebody else. That's what I really loved about it. It becomes a relatively self-sustaining investment that I don't have to do the same amount of work all the time. So when you want to start a business, I'm a big proponent of figure out how you can do it to where you can make it run passively. That's what's attractive about business and real estate investing. Otherwise, you're just working a job. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, David, I, I feel like we could keep going on and on, uh, but let's go into our monumental questions. Let's do it. What does success mean to you? Success means being able to do things that you like at a level that you are happy with. So if you just want to make $100,000 a year, $80,000 a year, and you want to work two hours a day, when you've hit that, you're successful. If it's doing things you enjoy. If you're making $10 million a year, but you're having to do things that are not fun that you don't like, you're still not successful. So I think it's a combination of fulfilling your own goal, which is very important to know yourself and know what you want and doing it in a way that you enjoy. Yeah, I love that. Um, what about daily habits or morning rituals that you have? When I, I have a really hard time getting started. So this is, I don't like this about myself, but I see some people that when I was a cop, I would notice this all the time. These guys would get off duty and their head would hit the pillow and they'd be sleeping. I'm like, how do you do that? It takes me so long to wind myself down. And then to get started in the morning, it takes a long time to ramp it up. So I'd look at these guys like, and I think they're sports cars, just slam on the brakes and you're zero to 60 in two seconds. I'm like a train. Once I get moving, I can, I've literally stayed awake for three to four days at a time and just kept going. 
I can push it really far, but once I'm stopped, it's very difficult for me to get moving again. It's that momentum that I'm trying to build. So it's very important to me that I build momentum when I first get out of bed right away. So I like to, this is going to sound silly. I like to get out of bed with force and intention. I don't just like roll myself out of bed. I like to take off the cover, jerk myself up, hit the floor, get my phone. I usually immediately put on a podcast or put on some person I'm learning from to get my mind moving as far as what I'm thinking about and then get my blood pumping in some way. So if I have time, I go for a run or I go for a walk. I have to do something to get blood going through my body to get my juices working because that's how I start my own momentum to be moving. If I don't, I'll often take a shower. Even if I didn't need to take a shower, if I took one the night before, Something about doing that gets the juices in my mind working. As you're in the shower, you're thinking about, okay, what do I have today? What do I have to make sure I get right? I mentally prepare for things going wrong and I envision myself fixing it without getting upset. That's another important thing I do. I'm listening to whoever I'm listening to on the podcast and I'm, I'm letting what they're teaching, I'm trying to apply it to what my life looks like. And by the time I hit the car, if I do that right, I'm focused and I'm dialed in and I'm ready to go. And I walk into my work day feeling like a freight train. That's what I want. There's going to be a million things that jump at me. This deal fell out of contract. This person's not happy. This person called in sick. Um, this is, there's this problem with title. There's that, that's always going to happen. I want to feel like you put a piece of paper in front of a train when you bring me a problem that I just blast right through it. If I don't get that morning ritual right, I don't feel like a freight train. I feel very frail. And when that little, little obstacle hits in front of me, it can knock me off the tracks. And that's the feeling that I don't like. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, I can tell a difference when I, when I don't, and when I'm not intentional about my days, uh, it's, it seems like I'm running with my head cut off. Yeah. You can be that way on vacation, but you can't be that way when you're trying to be productive, you know, at work. Yeah. Um, last monumental question, favorite book or book you're currently reading? Favorite book would be either the richest man in Babylon or pitch anything. I also really like so good. They can't ignore you by Cal Newport. Those are all amazing books. The book I'm currently reading is Patrick bet David's, uh, your next five moves which I've really liked so far. He's a person I'd really like to meet. I like, I like how he thinks. I like how he teaches. If anybody knows Patrick Petravid, I'd love to be put in touch with him, but his book's really good. <laughs> it, that book talks about how you have to know your own goals and what you want. You can't look at other people and say, well, how do I go do what they do? Because if subconsciously it's not what you want, you're not going to give it your best to get there. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, are you, are you going to have him on the podcast at some point? If I, could, if I could get a hold of him, yes, I'd put him on the podcast for sure. But so far, I haven't met anybody that, that knows him. I like it. Um, well, guys, if you're listening, help David out. Uh, I think that would mean the world to David. Um, David, I appreciate our time together. Phenomenal episode. I love, I love diving into your story, um, your growth, your momentum, uh, and sharing that with our listeners. Also, like how to build a brand how to build um, momentum around content creation and how valuable that can be toward bringing new business and relationships and growth uh, into your life. Uh, so I thank you for sharing that. Uh, is there any way our, our monumental listeners can follow you or reach out to you? Yeah, I'm all over social media at David Green 24 
So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, even bigger pockets. I think if you go to biggerpockets.com slash David Green 24, that should take you to my site. And uh, if you send me a Facebook message, that's probably the easiest way that I'm going to see it. The other ones get filled up a little bit more than Facebook. I like it. And, and tell them about your, uh, the name of your new book. Yes. Thank you for that. The new book is called Sold, Every Real Estate Agent's Guide to Building a Profitable Business. It's the first in a three-part series that this first book is written to new or inexperienced agents who want to make money. This is everything that nobody told you that you need to be doing, and more importantly, how to do it. So this book is full of when the client asks this question, this is how you answer it. It's not just hey, make sure you make a lot of phone calls type of a thing. This is actual, when you make a phone call, here's what you say. If you're not a real estate agent, but you know one, I promise you they're probably not happy with the results they're having. It's not like HGTV. People get into this business and have no idea how hard it is. There's a lot of guilt and shame in the industry that nobody wants to show. They all want to be the agent with the nice watch and the nice car that everyone thinks is balling. Most of us are not. So... Get that book for anyone that you care about in your life so that they can start to build their business up with the mentorship that they're probably not getting at their brokerage. The second book will be how to become a top producer, how to be at the top of your market. And then the third book will be how to build a team and systemize what you've been doing so that you can either scale like what I plan on doing or retire and have a passive business that just pays you money. That's awesome. And where can they find the book? Biggerpockets.com slash new books. You go to biggerpockets.com slash new books and it'll be the very top book. It's got a red cover and it says sold. Boom. Guys, take David up on that. Um, he's always bringing tremendous value. Also, if you don't already, uh, I'm sure probably 98% of you already listen to Bigger Pockets. But if you don't, uh, go check out Bigger Pockets. They put on phenomenal, just content rich episodes. Um, and, and we'll also put a link to my episode uh, that was on Bigger Pockets a couple months ago as well. Um, so David, thank you again. And everyone f- listening, thank you so much for being here. Uh, if, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it on social media. Uh, make sure you go to iTunes, subscribe, rate and review, and make sure if you're sharing it, tag David at David green 24 and at Evan holiday, let us know you're listening. And guys with that, have a monumental day. Mm-hmm.